Hello and welcome back my fellow theologians. Hope you are having a great day so far. Uh, today we're going to be in the Gospel of John in chapter 14. And so as you, as you guys are making your way there, um, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. And so as you guys are making your way there, I uh, just want to pose an opening uh, scenario with you just to, to kind of kick us off here today. I love going on road trips. In fact, I'm going to go on one here in a few weeks for my birthday, and it's going to be amazing. And, but the kicker is, I'm not going by myself, because when you think about it, who, who in the world wants to go on a road trip by themselves? That's ridiculous, right? Yeah, anyone would have that reaction. <clears throat> but seldom do we really think about the journey of our lives as a road trip. But essentially, that's exactly what it is. It's a journey from birth to death. That, and, you know, when we look in that tombstone, you know, the, the two dates, it's that dash. It's such an overlooked dash, but it's, that dash is so significant. And, um, you know, as we are thinking about this in terms of God and the Bible and how that interacts and intersects with our lives, I'm going to pose a kind of a aspect about God that gets overlooked quite a lot. And quite frankly, it's because people are intimidated by it. Um, but And that's the issue of the Trinity. And more, more specifically, um, that of the Holy Spirit. So the, the doctrine of the Trinity is basically, in, in short, it's just the, uh, the God of the Bible reveals himself as one God in three persons. That of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, we, we know God the Father primarily throughout all the Old Testament. And we know the second person of the Trinity, uh, that being the Son of God, Jesus Christ, from that of the entire New Testament. And the third person of the, of the Trinity is that of God the Holy Spirit. And he makes quite an appearance throughout the entirety of the New Testament and is also foretold uh, by the prophets in the Old Testament. He's always been there. Even at the beginning of it all in Genesis, uh, it was the, if you remember, it was the breath of the Spirit of the Lord who basically was keenly involved in the, in the creation. But we really don't think of the Holy Spirit and his role and his activity in our lives very much at all. And so I thought it'd be a, a cool idea to kind of, to kind of dive into what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit and and really pose the question who is the Holy Spirit? So, like I said, we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 14 and here 
um, just to kind of set the the background, um, Jesus is in his third year in ministry. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the peak of his ministry, and all of a sudden he he starts foretelling his disciples that of his impending death. He's basically saying, "Hey guys, you know my my role here now is is coming to an end." And I'm going to be essentially murdered and crucified. And he kind of drops hints at it here and, and there throughout um, the, the latter days. And I don't know whether it's denial or neglect or, or what have you, but his disciples, as you read through the Gospels, just seem to just kind of shrug it off, dismiss it. Like, oh, you, you can't be real. You're just joking. You're not really serious, are you? you know? And you see it quite often. Uh, throughout the the gospels but there's a point at which it really just hits the disciples smack across the face the reality that he is actually going to be gone and, and all of a sudden they 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 feel this impending sense of abandonment and what did you just say jesus are are are, are we on the same page still and so in chapter 14 uh, we come to the point where Jesus kind of has to, he's reconciling and having that hard conversation with, with his disciples. And Jesus comforts his disciples. And starting in verse 16 and following, this is when he kind of lays out the role of the Spirit. And and so as you guys are already, hopefully you're there, um, I'm going to just go ahead and dive into the text, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. So again, John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive but it does not see him, nor does it know him. But you know him, because he abides and remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. In verse 23, says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode or make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring 
to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. All right. So that is a lot to take in. And so like I said, we're going to just kind of kind of unpack that a little bit and and see what the Lord has to say to us today. So our first observation that that we can make here is that throughout this passage Jesus kind of gives a few identifying markers or titles of the Holy Spirit that he he which kind of roles he plays. And so the first and foremost is that we can conclude and, and observe that the Holy Spirit is our helper and our comforter. Check out verse 16 again. It says, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And so the fact that he is going to be an ever-present God that relinquishes their fear of that feeling of abandonment that I can imagine that they were dealing with at that point. And secondly, we can observe that the Holy Spirit, He is our teacher. And you can check out verse 26, which sheds light to this fact. Uh, verse 26 says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He is going to, basically in those days where, where we're having trouble discerning uh, just whether life circumstances and when life just hits you and, and is getting hard, the Bible says that the way our the way that we communicate with God is that seldom do we hear that audible voice like we see in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, etc. Uh, the fact is that we are in a generation that is post or after the cross. And the ascension of Jesus and at in the book of Acts, chapter two and three and following it, it it is the historical record of the day of Pentecost where the dissension of the Holy Spirit came upon the the disciples, and from that day forward until today, the way that we interact with our God is through the Holy Spirit and the Bible is our main way of communication and the way that you know I like to think about it like you know we read the Bible but through the power of the Holy Spirit that allows the Bible or the Spirit of God to also read 
right back into us. It's as if we were looking into a mirror. That is the power of God. It's not just a, a drama, you know, on Netflix that was from a you know from a book you know was written a few years ago. You know, it's it's living and breathing, and it's empowering and penetrating into our very lives. One thing that was always just kind of bothering me was the lack of the tangibility of the Holy Spirit. It just, I had to, I had no framework that I could touch, feel, kind of have this, that frame of mind. And so as I was preparing and studying, I came across uh, something that kind of gives some more insight into that area. In the same book, John chapter 3, verse 8, uh, the Bible says this. In, in this context, Jesus is actually talking to Nicodemus, who was the Pharisee who came to him at night. And so you could say that he was the first Nick at night. Anyone? Anyone? Disney? As a Nickelodeon kids? Anyway. I try to make jokes. Most times I fail. That's okay. Anyway, so all jokes aside, in John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so that was comforting for me because... He likens it to the wind, and the wind is something very abstract, but yet very tangible. And so every time we, or I at least, experience the wind, it brings that comfort that just as I, can, I can't see the wind, but I can feel and experience the effects of the wind, that is proof, that is evidence, that is tangibility that I know it is true and it is a reality and that it is here. And this is the tangibility and the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is exactly like the wind, according to Jesus in that, in that passage. And the third observation we can make about the Holy Spirit is that He is our peace giver or our source of peace. Uh, check out verse 27 again. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. But I give another kind of peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And again, in context of this chapter, that is also another element of 
bringing that reconciliation of, of bridging the gap in terms of Jesus breaks the news that he's fixing to be murdered and he's going to be gone, but he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to, as verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And he sends the Holy Spirit as that ever presence, which brings us peace and that shoulder to lean on, if you will. And so that is our assurance and affirmation that God is not a God who creates us and then winds us up and then lets it lets it go. Uh, that's actually the the source of of deism, which is the belief that God is so far. People that believe in God, but that he's he's been gone for a long time now. He's he's nowhere close to us. He's he doesn't get his hands dirty and and really is interpersonal with us. That some that's been named as the clockmaker theory that God is likened to a clockmaker who builds the clock just as God had created the earth and the heavens back in Genesis. He wound it up and then let it go and then just propped his feet up and started watching football. And that is a lie from the pit of hell that Satan wants to get into your inner psyche to discourage you and take you down. Don't believe that because that is not the truth. And don't take my word for it. That's not my opinion. That is the Bible's word. And as Christians, the Bible is our exclusive, our only source of authority. So if it says it, that means it's true. So we are to know God. Verse 17 says, That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it does not see him, nor does it know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So what does it mean to know God, to know the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to dissect it a little bit because there are two different words, two different Greek words that... Uh, well, for those of you who don't know, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, uh, which basically means it's common Greek. So I like to think of it as 
it's not Shakespearean English. It's not the KJV, all the thou's and the henceforths and all, all that kind of jazz. But it's just the blue-collar, redneck, North Georgia type of language to where it's how everyone talks. It's the business language of the day, of the first century Israel and Jerusalem. And so, and that's very strategic because Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They worked for the IRS. They were tax collectors. You know, very practical, blue-collar people. And therefore, they spoke in that language. And so they wanted to use that same language to reach the widest audience as possible. And so there's two words that means to know God. So the first is the word oida. And that basically means, yeah, if if someone were to ask me, do you know Donald Trump? What are they really asking me? Are they asking me if I had dinner with him last Tuesday evening? No, no, no. They're asking me, do I know about him? Yes, of course, I know a lot about President Trump, thanks to Twitter. (laughs) Um, And so that's the first definition or the first word that means to know to know something or know a lot of about a certain person is oida. The second one is gnosko. And that specific word in Greek which means to know is a more intimate, uh more personal definition of what we come to know as as the definition of it. And so that mean that would be the equivalent of saying that yes, I know everything about my spouse. And in John in this chapter here, that is the word that the author uses to express how the Holy Spirit knows us and how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all know us. It's an intimate kind of knowledge. And so as we close today, I, I want to challenge you and I want to pose a question to you. And you may have not really ever considered this or even it, given it a second thought. But that remains... It doesn't make it any less important or significant in your life. And that is, do you truly know God? Or do you just know a lot about him? Have you given your life to Christ and are called a child of God? Or are you just a fan? Are you a follower of Christ? 
or are you just a fan of Christ? Like I'm a fan of Star Wars. Because that is the difference between life and death. Because the, the scriptures say that depending on what kind of knowledge we have about God will determine where we spend the rest of eternity after we die. If we truly have an intimate knowledge of God and a relationship with God, then we will spend the rest of our eternity after we die with him in his presence in heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my paradise. However, if we just are fans about him, then it's sad. But the truth is that he will say, depart from me because I never knew you. And that's, that is one of the single horrifying and scary scary passages in the Bible for me because it just reminds me that the stakes are high and that is just putting it lightly and so as we close I know it's kind of on a kind of a serious note but it's I, I pose it because it is that important so do you truly know God or just a lot about him alright guys thanks for hanging in there with me today and until next time until next episodes I hope you have a great day alright bye bye